0: draw your attention to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 6, and as we go through to Daniel chapter 6, I want to remind you that there is a central theme to the book of Daniel. And that central theme is clearly seen, it's, it's stated a couple of times, especially in chapter 4. In chapter 4 verse 17, it says this, that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he will and sets it over the lowliest of men. In verse 25, Daniel reminds us again that You may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever He will. Now I want to remind you that this theme is absolutely trumpeted throughout the book of Daniel. You might think of the book of Daniel and you remember the great stories. You remember like I do the story in chapter 3 about the fiery furnace. Or you remember like I do in chapter 6, the lion's den. But this book is not a book about fiery furnaces. It is not a book that's primarily about lions' dens. It is a book, listen, of of the authority. It is a book of the authority and the sovereignty, the power, and the control of Almighty God. It is a book. The book of Daniel is a book about God raising up nations and God tearing down nations in accord with His divine plan. Now, as I said, we're going to come to Daniel chapter 6 today. And as you do that, I want to remind you of what happens at the end of Daniel chapter 5. At the end of Daniel chapter 5, we're given the story of how the political balance of the world has experienced a major, major shift. The political balance of the world was greatly upset in the year 539 B.C. Something unthinkable happened in the world in 539 B.C., Because it was in that year that the Babylonian kingdom, the Babylonian empire that was at that time under the proud and arrogant rule of a man named Belshazzar, it was at that time that in one night, in one night, the balance of power shifted in the world. In one night, the Babylonian empire was overthrown and the rule of the empire moved in a matter of a few hours from Belshazzar and and Babylon to one named Cyrus the Great and the rule and reign of Medo-Persia. Now, in Daniel chapter 5, verse 30, we read this. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. Notice that very night, this, this emphasis on just a few hours change. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Now, in Daniel chapter 5, verse 30, we're reading here about a man. In verse 30, it tells us this man is called Darius. Or, it's a man that we would know to be as Cyrus the Great. You remember how in Egypt, the king Or the ruler of Egypt was called the Pharaoh. When I grew up, I thought that was his name. I thought his name was Pharaoh. I didn't realize that that was actually a title. He had another name. He had a name. We just didn't know who it was. He was just called the Pharaoh. Well, similarly, this word Darius is a title. It is a title for the one called Cyrus the Great. In fact, if you look at the end of chapter 6, verse 30, you read this. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius. And then we read, and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Now what you need to know is that they're not two different people. He prospered in the reign of Darius. And maybe a better way to understand this is even King Cyrus the Great. In other words, Cyrus the Great was his name. Darius was the title. And the Bible says that on that very night, in the matter of a few hours, Belshazzar was killed and Darius the Mede received the kingdom. Within a few hours, the rule of the largest empire in the world passed out of Babylonian rule to the reign of this pagan king named Cyrus the Great. And that brings us this morning to Daniel chapter 6. And it's a well known chapter. It's It's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. I love stories. And Daniel chapter 3, the story of the three men in the fiery furnace, and Daniel chapter 6, the story that we call the story of Daniel in the lion's den, are perhaps my two favorite stories in the Bible. And what I want to do this morning is take a look at this very well-known story, at this very well-known narrative. And what I want to do is I take a look at this, and, and as we go, I'm going to make four notes or four observations or four parts of this story. But I want you to understand that it's not this story is not about Daniel. It's not ultimately about a lion's den. This story is meant for a purpose, and the purpose is to help us to see that there is a God in heaven. The purpose of Daniel chapter 6 is to help us to see and understand, and all of us, today when we leave here, all of us will be led to confess, not just with our mouths, but with our lives, that there is a God in heaven and that He rules the kingdom of men. He raises up kingdoms and He tears down kingdoms according to His will. Now, the four parts are simply this. The plot, the plot against Daniel. The plot against Daniel. And then secondly, we'll see the prayer that Daniel offered, the prayer of Daniel And then thirdly, we'll see the punishment given to Daniel. And then fourthly, we'll notice the protection that was provided for Daniel. That's just how we're going to move through this this passage. I'm going to read the entire chapter, all 28 verses, because uh, I want want us to get the full picture and I don't want us to miss anything. So follow along as I read Daniel chapter 6. This is the word of the Lord. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. These men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O king Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction, that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning this injunction, O king, Did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, now, O king, that, is a, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lord's, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions, as He came near to the den where Daniel was. He cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the lion, into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his, dominion shall be, uh, and, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. This is the word of the Lord. And it's a very familiar story. It's one that you've known and heard many times. But I want us to look at it afresh this morning in these, three, these four parts. You notice the first part, we're just calling this the plot against Daniel. It's really quite an amazing thing that we read what we read here in the first three verses of this chapter. It's amazing to me how quickly Daniel was brought into leadership under the kingdom of cyrus he's just exalted in the kingdom of cyrus he's exalted in darius's kingdom and it's amazing to me because it's not long that the kingdom of babylon had faded not long that the kingdom of babylon had faded and now he is being exalted he is receiving this he's he's this amazing success story right no I want you to stop right there for a moment and I want you to interrupt your normal pattern of thinking because normally we go through this this verse, we go through this chapter and we think of Daniel as some kind of flowery success story. That's how we've grown up thinking about Daniel. We've often romanticized and and looked at this in unrealistic uh, fashion. We have a glamorized view of good old faithful Daniel. This is not a story of success. My friends, When you look at the entirety of Daniel's life, you actually see a story of defeat. You actually see a story of hardship. You see a story of trial and sorrow, tragedy and trouble. This is the story, I want to remind you that this is a story of a young boy, perhaps as young as 15 or just a little bit younger. This is a story of a young boy at the age of 15, he was kidnapped and he was ripped from his family in the land of Judah. I want you to understand something. This was a God-fearing family. These were people who raised up their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. They were a God-fearing family. They loved and served and obeyed God. But in spite of their love for God, and in spite of their obedience to God, in 605 BC, the Bible says, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And listen, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them in the land of Shinar. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish. And, one of, and they were supposed to be educated in Babylon, in, in Babylon, and one of those young men was named Daniel. You heard that correctly. Daniel's living his life. He's got a family who loves him, teaches him in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, fears God, serves God, loves God. But in 605, the Lord, the Lord gave Jehoiakim. You read that right. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar carried some of those people away. He carried away some of the instruments of the temple used in worship, and he carried away some of the people, including Daniel. Carried him away to Babylon. Babylon. Now I want you to remember as you think about that. Throughout the scripture, Babylon is used as a metaphor for satanic domain. Babylon is used as a metaphor for satanic, satanic influence and satanic power. This is not the fuzzy fairy tale that we have made it up to be. Here is a young boy who is dragged from his home, and dragged from his parents, and dragged from his friends, and he is taken to a foreign land, and he is schooled in pagan education, and he learns pagan religious worship. Oh, and by the way, if we read Isaiah 39 verse 7 right, there's a good chance that Daniel had become a eunuch. Can you imagine the sorrow of this boy? Everything that he knew and loved was taken. And and we think that in a moment like this, the questions would start rising. Why? Why, God? I love you. And I'm ripped from my parents' home. Why God? I've obeyed you. My parents taught me the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And now I'm a captive. And now I'm a slave. On several occasions and probably more than that if we read the book of Daniel correctly we find that Daniel was living his life on the edge in constant danger of losing his life at the whim of a maniacal pagan king. So don't think that this is a story of a fairy tale. By the time we come to Daniel chapter 6, we find Daniel has spent nearly his entire life in a foreign land. By this time, he's in his late 80s, if not 90. He lived his entire life as a captive, a slave, maybe even a eunuch, away from home, inundated with pagan practices, pagan people all around him, in the center of the city which serves as a picture of satanic influence and power. This was not a happy-go-lucky life. This was a life of sorrow. It's a life of suffering. While he was left to serve at the beck and call of men like Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, and now Cyrus the Great. And you would think that maybe, you know, at age 85, let's just say, maybe Daniel deserves a break. Now, I'm not denying that his life was punctuated by what we might think to be success. Here's an old man, a Jewish man been a captive all of his life. And perhaps because of his reputation for wisdom and perhaps because of his reputation for integrity, Daniel was certainly the main character in the unfolding drama of of the Babylonian Empire. And now he is welcomed into the kingdom of Cyrus the Great, welcomed into the rule of Darius. But I want to remind you, he was always on guard. Never take a break. You'd think that by now he'd say, okay God, I've lived my life, I've shown my faithfulness, come on, give me a break. Yet here we find in Daniel chapter 6 that even now he's under the gun. Even now he is, there, there's a plot made on his life. Because he had distinguished himself, he was distinguished rather above all the other high officials and satraps in the land, he's under the gun. There's a plot for his life. You see the picture here that's taking place? In the midst of Daniel's excellence, some of the other governors and some of the other leaders were enraged. A captive from Jerusalem was one who appeared to be in line for a high political promotion, an old man at that. This infuriated the others. And what we witness in chapter, in chapter 6, verses 5 through 9, is what has popularly been described today as the, the politics of personal destruction. The other leaders searched Daniel's life. They looked through his life. They looked at his lifestyle. They looked at his governing actions, his leadership capabilities, his social life, his political motivation, and they could find nothing, nothing concerning the kingdom that would tear him down, nothing that would be the thing that they could get a foothold into his life and, and, and destroy him. These men knew that the only way was to trap him was to make up a law That had something to do with Daniel's commitment to God. So they came up with a plan. These flatterers, these malicious gossips, these slanderers. You can even hear the the slimy, slithering hiss of a snake behind them as they talk. They came up with their plan. The plan was to entice the king to make this decree or law that said that anyone who requested or petitioned uh, any other man or God within the time period of 30 days would just be what were to be cast into the, to the lion's den. The only thing that could be found in Daniel's life was his uncompromising commitment to God. Matthew Henry said, It is an excellent thing and much for the glory of God when those who profess religion conduct themselves so inoffensively in their whole conversation that their most watchful, spiteful enemies may find no occasion of blaming them save only in the matters of their God, and this whole plan you need to understand hinged on the on the pride and the arrogance of uh, the vainglory of Darius. They come up, they they throng the king. They want to butter him up. That's what we see there in chapter six, verses five through nine. And all the kingdom, all the governors of the kingdom, which by the way is a lie. Not all the governors of the kingdom. Daniel didn't agree to this. They they say well, we we consulted everyone, and we think this is a great idea. That what we do is, and this is going to serve to unite your kingdom. Everybody's going to praise you. And by the way, it's only for 30 days anyway. Everybody's going to make a, a, their petition before you, O oh great king, Darius. You're in control of everything. You're the king. You're the great one. And Darius says, that's a good idea. Let me, let me write it out. Let me make... The commandment clear. Let me make the injunction clear. I mean, it's only going to be for 30 days. And and the law signed into effect. And we read this a couple of times from verse 8 to verse uh, 13, 14, 15. We read it in 17. The law was signed into effect according to the law of the Medes and the Persians. And and what's important to that is this number of times it says, verse 8, which cannot be revoked. Verse 12, which cannot be revoked. Verse 15, which cannot be changed. Verse 17, cannot be changed. Traditionally, the law of the Medes and the Persians could not be revoked. Once this decree was signed, there was no turning back. That's the plot against Daniel. Now what's interesting is we move from that to the prayer of Daniel in verses 10 through 15. And what impresses me so much about this man Daniel Is to know that he is now 85, 90 years old, and he's still doing the same stuff. Now, make this note. I think this is important. Daniel chapter 6 is out of chronological order in the the way the narrative runs. Daniel 6 is out of chronological order. What actually, the, the events that actually take place now, or or sometime in the middle of chapter 5 would be the events of Daniel chapter 7 and 8. And those events that took place, and you would go back home and read them today maybe. The events that take place in verses in chapter 7 and 8 were very troubling to Daniel. So much so that it says in chapter 7 verse 28 that my thoughts greatly alarmed me and my color changed. He says it again in chapter 8 verse 27 that... I was overcome and I lay sick for some days. I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. What I mean to tell you is that there were things that God was revealing to Daniel that he just did not understand. Things to come. Things regarding the future that Daniel did not understand. He couldn't figure out how the things that he saw in chapter 7 and 8 related to the earlier revelations regarding the four subsequent earthly kingdoms. So what does he do? I mean, it's so bad that it makes him sick. He's sick for a couple of days. And then you know what he does? Verse 27 of chapter 8. After laying sick for a few days, he gets up and attends to the king's business. Belshazzar. This is Belshazzar, under his rule and reign. And that, when I looked at that and understood that, that really marks out for me the example that I want to follow in these days. He didn't understand everything that he had seen. So you know what he did? He went about his daily business. The next thing you know, there's this earth-shattering news of the change in kings and kingdoms. But Daniel is not knocked off course. He's not set off by the ending of the Babylonian Empire, the start of the Medo-Persian Empire. Perhaps by now he had begun to understand. You see, he had a copy of Jeremiah's prophecies. And he had been reading Jeremiah's prophecies and he began to understand that this quote-unquote Babylonian captivity was supposed to last 70 years, and he realized that the 70 years were up. And he came to understand that through the studying of Jeremiah's prophecy. Again, he had a copy of that, that it was now time for the captives to be sent back to Jerusalem. And this sent Daniel, not into a tizzy, but it sent him to set his heart to seek the Lord. He began to repent, We read about that repentance in Daniel chapter 9. Now he had always prayed, chapter 6 verse 10 tells us, he had always done this from before, but perhaps now his prayer was more vigorous than before. I've seen, as you've seen it, that that there was a law signed. And when Daniel knew that the law was signed, he knew it fully well. Do you notice what changed? Nothing. Nothing. Nothing changed. There's a lesson for us, brothers and sisters. It's something that we've been saying for a long time now. That even when things around us are changing, we don't change. And may the Lord help us to be so consistent and so diligent. What do the people of God do when the laws of the land make it a crime to worship? They worship. They don't change. I remember a time when there were thoughts, when the church ought not to be meeting. And I remember a lot of us saying, oh, but church is essential. And we were very vigorous about that and very set in that. No, we're, we, church is essential. We will not. But you know what happens? As time goes on, that vigor seems to wane. And I want you to understand, brothers and sisters, that the greatest threat to the church isn't a law, law that's been signed, the greatest threat to the church is the apathy of the people. And here's Daniel. Not changing. He just prayed as he had always done. The Bible says that he set his face to Jerusalem just like he was taught. Will you keep your finger there in Daniel chapter 6 and go back with me in the Old Testament to 2 Chronicles. I just want you to see this. I don't want you to miss this. 2 Chronicles chapter 6, 2 Chronicles chapter 6, and I want you to look at verses 36 through 39, and maybe just in your Bibles here, right in the margin of your Bibles, write Daniel chapter 6, and then also Daniel chapter 9, and maybe sometime today, go back and compare those chapters with what we read here. Here is this dedicatory prayer of Solomon at the temple. And he's praying, and he says to God in verse 36 of Daniel chapter 6, If they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you are angry with them and give them to an enemy, so that they are carried away captive to a land far or near, sound familiar? If they turn their heart in the land to which they have been carried captive and repent and plead with you, In the land of their captivity saying we have sinned and acted perversely and wickedly. If they repent with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their captivity. To which they were carried captive and pray toward their land. Which you gave to their fathers the city that you have chosen and the house that I have built for your name. Then hear from heaven your dwelling place their prayer and their pleas. And maintain their calls and forgive your people who have sinned against you. What is Daniel doing? Daniel sets his face toward Jerusalem. He sets his face toward the place where the temple used to be. Perhaps looking forward to God uh, fulfilling His promise to bring back the people of Judah to Jerusalem. And that's what Daniel did. He prayed. And I think we have evidence of that prayer, what that prayer was like in chapter 9. I don't know for sure that 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 Daniel chapter 9 is the prayer that he prayed in Daniel chapter 6. But I have a good idea that that was at least some of the content that he was praying. The plot against Daniel, the prayer of Daniel, and then notice the punishment given to Daniel. Daniel chapter 6, now again, verses 16 and 17. You've seen it emphasized several times that uh, Daniel is... Daniel is uh, mentioning here, Daniel is emphasizing here several times... We were I'm sorry. That was China calling. Was. Um I usually turn that off, but I forgot to do it today. All right, we've seen several times that, that in Daniel chapter 6 it's been emphasized how much the law of the Medes and the Persians cannot change. The law... Cannot be revoked by any man. Did you hear that? The law cannot be revoked by any man. No man has the power to revoke the law of the Medes and the Persians. No, not even a king. But there is another king. There is a greater king. And what now now notice this. While the law of the Medes and the Persians cannot be revoked, listen. The word of God cannot be changed. We have the collision here of what seems to be two immovable objects the law of the Medes and the Persians, and then we have the word of God who declared that the end of the 70 years had come and it was time for the captives to go back. Which one's going to win? He promised that this was to be the year when the captives of Israel would be brought back, sent back to the land the captivity was to be finished not because of a human king but because of the eternal king of kings and lord of lords and it could not be otherwise i want you to understand my brothers and sisters there was absolutely zero chance less than a chance than a zero chance of the failing of god's word to his prophet jeremiah literally no chance that God would not fulfill His word to, to Jeremiah literally. There was no metaphorical way, no way in which we could say, well, maybe God really meant this. This was no chance that God would not fulfill His word Literally, his word will be fulfilled. He decreed 70 years, and 70 years it would be indeed. How can this be, Jeremiah said, to which God said, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Now, the den of lions was the chosen method of execution for the Medes and the Persians. Now, they were fire worshippers. So it would be sacrilegious for them to do what the Babylonians did. What did the Babylonians do? They burned people. Since they were fire worshippers, they didn't want to do that. They threw offenders to a hungry den of lions. Probably, as we see in this chapter, that before the offenders reached the ground, in most cases, they were dead. Probably what we have here is a large square cavern under the earth. There was a partition wall in the middle of it. had a door in that partition wall so that the people could, so that the, the, the lion keepers could move the lions back and forth, clean and do whatever they needed to do. The cavern had a large opening at the top and its mouth was surrounded by a wall of a yard and a half high over which one could look into the den. Now there was a door in the wall surrounding the cavern, and that door would be sealed shut to keep the offenders in and the lions in. It would have been really nice for Daniel if God had decided, hey, he's 85 years old. Maybe let's, let me deliver him now. Instead of him having to be thrown, to be cast to the den of lions by the way... That word is used also in chapter 3, verse 21. When the three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were thrown into the fiery furnace, They, they were not placed there. They were not gently set in the midst of the fiery furnace. They were thrown, they were cast down. And so here is Daniel, at 85 years old. Cast down, thrown Into the pit of the lions. It's interesting. There is Daniel. And God doesn't... Here's Daniel's rosy life, right? Here's once again. Got to go through this again. Thrown into the lion's den. W.A. Criswell said this. How many dungeons and how many rocks and how many dens and how many dives have heard the singing of God's saints that the lofty cathedral has never heard. How many of these people who are oppressed and persecuted and cast out as the scum of the earth have in their angelic devotions taken wings to soar into the very heaven of heavens? Daniel was like that, a captive, a slave, a servant, a foreigner, an alien in a strange land, but never a word of complaint. He's punished and it's handed down it cannot be revoked and that leads us to the last consideration and that's the protection that's provided for daniel the story of daniel in the lions den comes to a close with king darius you can just see this drama unfolding it's it's thick with irony running to the pit to see if daniel is perhaps still alive Still dark outside. Maybe he can't see exactly what's going on. And so he shouts down into the pit of the lion, Daniel, servant of the living God. And the phrase that implies really that what this was in Darius' mind was a, a test. You see, he went back to his, to his house, his palace that night, and there was no food brought to him, no music, no women brought to him, no kingdom business, no sleep. He spends the night fasting. He He's just there all alone, wondering what's going to happen to Daniel. Has God been able to deliver you? Doubtless, Darius had seen many times how his gods were unable to deliver. Maybe he was familiar with the powerless and dead gods of Persia. Maybe he was familiar with the powerless and dead gods of those lands that he had conquered before. But now he's come face to face. There's something pricking his heart and his mind and and grabbing his attention about attention about this God, the living God, and Darius unexpectedly hears a response from the den, and it is the voice of not a voice of a half dead man, but the strong, clear voice of Daniel, O King, live forever, which in and of itself proves the, 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 the malicious gossips wrong. Daniel was not dead, but he was not only not dead, he was not in disrespect of the king. He was not the person they said he was. He still showed respect for the king. And the king asked, God was, it's kind of funny, was God able to deliver you? Yes, he's been able to deliver you. What do you think? Has God been able to deliver you? Yes, Daniel's reply was clear. The angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord came and shut the lion's mouth and I, I want to tell you very quickly, and I know I, I need to hurry on, but the angel of the Lord is none other than a pre incarnate glimpse of Jesus Christ. In the midst of the lion's dens, Dan Daniel sat down with the Lord Jesus Christ as Christ protected him. There was in the midst of that lion's den another lion that day. <laughs> it was the lion of the tribe of Judah. He was the one who was found in the midst of the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The one who said, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by my name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. This line of the tribe of, the Judah, of Judah was the one who provided a sacrifice for himself when Abraham saw a ram caught in the thicket in Genesis chapter 22. He was the one who sent Joseph onto Egypt in order to save many in Israel in Genesis chapter 50. He was the one who Isaiah saw in his, high, in his glory high and lifted up on the throne in Isaiah chapter 6. He was the one who prayed for Peter when Peter was being sifted like wheat and surely tried in Luke chapter 22. He was the one who stood at the right hand of the Father in heaven as Stephen preached Jesus to a stubborn people. He was the one who stood at the right hand of God and received Stephen as the stones were rained down upon his head in Acts chapter 7. He was the one who stood with the apostle Paul as he faced the lion's mouth in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And Paul said this, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so I was rescued from the lion's mouth mouth and there he is in chapter 6 verse 22 shutting the mouths of the lions and it wasn't because these lions were not ferocious it was not because these lions were not hungry look what happened in 24 when the when when those that had accused daniel and their families were thrown in these were man eaters and daniel was taken up out of the pit By the way, when God delivers someone, he delivers them completely. There was not even a scratch found in him. Why? Because he trusted God. But I want to make a note here. Verse 23 says, because he trusted God. It was not only that he trusted God as the reason for which he was not harmed. It was because he trusted God that he was there in the first place. This is an instance, friend, when God chose to glorify Himself through delivering His servant. But it's not always the case. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 35 and 38. Some were sawn in two. You see, some glorify God by dying. And some glorify God by living. How? How? Because in his perfect providence, God has his people exactly where he wants them to serve his purposes. He plants his people right in the midst of Satan's kingdom. He plants his people right in the midst of Satan's kingdom. And God is building his kingdom against which the gates of hell have no power. And you might be like Daniel today and not understand all of God's plans and all of the details in which he is working in the world in terms of what he's going to do in the future. You may be like Daniel and you see national upheaval and the kingdoms of the world come and go. But I want you to remember that some serve the Lord by living and some serve the Lord by dying. Some worship in their suffering and sorrows and sadness and others worship the Lord in their joy. Because we understand that the Lord has brought us this time and this place in His perfect and sovereign providence to serve and worship Him. I want you to see how through this terrible, unspeakable tragedy of the Babylonian captivity... That God brought the truth of his majesty to bear on the lives of pagan rulers. You see, it was through old Daniel that Cyrus the Great recognized something about the one who is greater. It was through old Daniel that Cyrus the Great realized that he wasn't so great after all. It wasn't very much time at all until Cyrus, who was called the anointed of God in Isaiah 45.1. And, and it wasn't long that, that this Cyrus, who was appointed in Isaiah 44.28, who was appointed to fulfill God's purposes, it wasn't long until Cyrus the Great was led to, to release the captives of Judah and to send them back to build the temple. And God reminds Israel, Isaiah 44.21, You are not forgotten, Israel. So you might look at your life, and you look at calamity after calamity and difficulty and trial and hardship and suffering, and you wonder where the rosy picture is that the false prophets of the, of the day tell you your life should be, how you ought to live your best life now. And you wonder where that's all about. And you're wondering, does God know? And does God see? You have this reminder in the book of Daniel that God knows. You have this reminder in the book of Daniel that God sees. Can you imagine anything worse than the things that had befallen Daniel? I can only imagine one thing worse. And that's if God did not keep His promise. This event is calling us to trust Him. As I sat down this week and thought about Daniel chapter 6 in a new way for myself I I just wrote this simple application for myself and I'll share it with you. I I wrote in Daniel chapter 6 I've seen that God is the one who raises up and tears down kingdoms. Therefore I'll not fear or fret when wicked people seem to prosper. I'll refuse to change and compromise and faithfulness and loyalty to Him. In other words, I'll keep doing and thinking and speaking and serving and praising and worshiping no matter come what may. And I'll repent over leftward drift and sinful unbelief. You see, today is Palm Sunday. Today is the day we remember the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, which could probably be better titled, The Tearful Entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. The day that the king of the Jews came into Jerusalem and he was roundly rejected. But he is not only the king of the Jews. He is the king of the universe. And even though you may not see it now, the government rests on his shoulders. And one day, he will sit on the throne of David In Jerusalem. So I have a question. What difference does that make in your life today? Let me give you three questions to ask yourself. Number one, and maybe you'll talk about these in your growth groups today or your family. Number one, what act of faithfulness and loyalty to the Lord is okay for you to compromise when worldly kingdoms demand it. What act of faithfulness and loyalty to the Lord is okay for you? What's what's understandable? Well, come on, Daniel. You don't have to go and sit out in the open. I mean, after all, it's only for 30 days. Just bide your time for 30 days. You're more important (laughs) to the to the well-being of your people. I mean, don't sacrifice. What act of faithfulness and loyalty is okay for you to compromise when worldly kingdoms demand it? Second question. What have you already given over to compromise? What act of faithfulness and loyalty to God have you already offered up on the altar of compromise? To the world, the kingdoms of the world. And third, how does the account of God's work in this chapter encourage faithfulness and loyalty to Him? How are you going to live your life as a result? Kids, how are you going to live today as a result of knowing that God, that there is a King in heaven who most certainly fulfills everything that he said. How are you going to live today? What difference is this going to make in your life now? How awful it would be to come this morning and hear a nice flowery story about good old successful faithful Daniel. And never make one point of application to your own life. This is our week of prayer. At very least, you could pray. <laughs> you, you could pray what I'll call a Bible-driven prayers. You can pray Bible-driven, sin-confessing, repentance-laden, Christ-focused, God-glorifying, Spirit-dependent, uh, kingdom-building prayers. At the very least, you could say, I'm going to be a man or woman of prayer. Because I know God keeps his word. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and under the power an unction of the Holy Spirit. We trust because we're coming as a result of what we've, seen in, what we've seen in your word. Thank you that you are the God before whom the nations of the world are like a drop in a bucket. Worldly kingdoms come and they go. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And so I pray, O oh God, for the glory of Jesus Christ and under the enabling power of the Spirit, that we as your people would refuse to compromise. And furthermore, that when we see areas where we have compromised, where there's been leftward drift in our lives, that we might know the Spirit-led, sin-confessing, Bible-directed, Christ-centered, God-glorifying joy of repenting of our sin. You'll grant us these days to be faithful to you all the way until we see you face to face, all the way until that day when the Lord Jesus Christ himself is seated seated on the throne of David there in Jerusalem. We trust you. We thank you. For those who are here today, O Lord, who've never heard the truth of the gospel, or have never submitted themselves to the truth of the gospel, and today they've heard that you, you are a God who keeps your word, the, the word that tells us that God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes on him would not perish, but have everlasting life. I, I pray that you would direct hearts to, to turn to Jesus Christ in faith today, do a work that can only be explained as being from your hand. We'll give you praise and glory both now and forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Would you stand together as we sing?